Welcome back to Get Better at Business. I am Travis Richards, your host. Today we are joined by James Benham. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Howdy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you say howdy like you're in College Station, but as we just discussed, you're not suffering through the 102-degree weather. You're actually in Michigan right now. and so I am a diehard Aggie, but uh, got got two degrees there. But uh, and I, I do have an official residence in College Station. I live at most of the year, but in the peak of the summer heat, I do escape to the beautiful wintry wonder wonderland of uh, Michigan where it uh, only hits 75 every day. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, sweater in summertime. That's not really part of what we do uh, down here. And so, uh, you know, the only thing that makes it better in August in Texas is if you are a heater manufacturer and you're testing heaters out in the, in the plant during August in Texas. And so that's, you know, always a treat. But uh, so the first thing that I have to ask you is that I am very intrigued by the your cover photo on LinkedIn. It is you and a, you know, snarling tiger in a costume or whatever. Please explain to me what what is the story behind that? Yeah, so um, I, I served uh, as a city councilman in College Station from uh, 2012 to 2018, two terms. I was mayor pro tem of College Station. Love uh, College Station. I love my Aggies. Um, but in uh, 2020, Governor Abbott asked me to serve as a regent on the board of Texas Southern University, which is in Houston, Texas. It's a historically black college located in Third Ward, um, just south of downtown Houston. And so for the last uh, almost two years, I'm, I'm coming up on my two-year anniversary. I've been a regent there helping lead and govern the university with eight other great governor's appointees. And we, uh, we actually have a, an Aggie president there. Uh, she has three degrees from, from A&M. And so she's, uh, she's the president and we've got some awesome people on the board with me and we're doing really cool things. And I'm a pilot. So I've been really helping build up our aviation program. Very cool. And I, I was in the Corps of Cadets at A&M. So I've been working on our ROTC efforts and, I also sit on uh, ad, you know audit committee and admin finance budget. Uh, help chair, I, I chair the development and legislative affairs. So I've been working with the state house and senate. So that's my uh, my volunteer gig <laughs> is uh, is uh, is down in Houston. We have just about eighty five hundred students that are um, really doing great things, and so it's been uh, been an honor to to be able to serve them. Yeah. Well, so you, you mentioned that you were a cadet, and. I, you were also uh, an entrepreneur and have known that about yourself for a long time. I'm curious about what was your experience like in the Corps? Anybody who's listening and doesn't is not an Aggie. The Corps of Cadets, it's kind of akin to a lifestyle like what you might live at a military academy. It's very regimented. You wear a uniform every day. You know, you got whenever you're a freshman, you know, they kind of kick you around and the upperclassmen yell at you and all that stuff. But it's a, it is a very structured and regimented environment. And most entrepreneurs that I know do not thrive in really structured, <laughs> regimented environments. And so I'm just kind of curious, what was your you know, core of cadets career like? Well, uh, it, 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 it launched my business, so I should, okay. I should include it in this discussion. You know, um, I started this business that I'm running now 20 years, 21 years later when I was a senior in the core at A&M. And uh, all my first clients were ex-cadets. <laughs> so it had a huge role in getting me launched. Uh, I loved being in the Corps. There's six senior military colleges out there. There's uh, North Georgia, VMI, Citadel, um, 
there's uh, Norfolk, uh, Virginia Tech, and Texas A&M. Those are the six SMCs. And uh, then there's the four, you know, there's the military academies, right? So West Point, Air Force Academy, Naval Academy, Coast Guard Academy. So you can become an officer by going to any of the academies, by going to six senior military colleges, or by being an ROTC at college. But being in ROTC at college is kind of like a one-day-a-week kind of deal. Being in a senior military college like A&M or Virginia Tech, you live together, eat together, you drill together every day, you have morning and evening formation, you wear a uniform all day. Um, I was very attracted to that. My father was in the Navy, my grandfather was in the Navy, and I was uh, my dad's uncle, <laughs> you know, everybody. A lot of folks served, and I was very um, attracted to a disciplined regimented lifestyle and the Corps is a great way to test that out without actually being in the military because you're technically a midshipman in the navy if you're navy rotc so you you you, do, you swear an oath and and you know you're under the command of the united states navy but you know you're not an officer and so i loved it it was amazing um i loved the friendships i made i loved the discipline it instilled it taught me what a long hard day was it taught me what a chain of command was it taught me how to organize people and projects and get things done um I mean, it taught me a lot. In fact, when I structured my business, I'm like, well, I'll just build it like my units were in the core, you know, and it was really great training for running a business. That being said, after four years, I knew that um, Clinton was president too. It was late, late nineties when I had to decide if I was going in or not and he wasn't hiring. And I went to my, you know, and, and, and I, so I did two internships with Price Waterhouse uh, in audit and Decided that that was like the military, but private service. <laughs> and so that's when I started uh, my business. Went to my dad, went to my buddy from high school, and we, we started JB Knowledge uh, April of 01 when I was still finishing my undergrad in my dorm room in the Corps. So it was a big, big role. Um, I still, like my best friends from college, probably half of them are cadets, and the other half are people I was, I was in a fraternity. I was in student senate. I was in some other things at A&M, but... I just loved it. I loved it. And my nephew's a sophomore in the Corps right now. He's in my old unit. Which is and, what? What, uh, what, unit, what? What unit were you in? Company C2, man. Oh, best one in the Corps. So, like, I was a BQ, and so I was, like, it, there, there was a... <laughs> Happy Halloween. Yeah, exactly. So, 10-second <laughs> backstory for all of this. As you might imagine, whenever you put a bunch of college kids in, as, you know, James mentioned, you know, you eat together, you live together, you drill together... There's a lot of very fun rivalries come out of that, and every year ours is the best. <laughs> oh, every, every year on Halloween, the the uh, the C two C two guys and the BQs all get together. Yeah, they, they would all. The, the, was it the night of the great pumpkin? Isn't that what it flight, is? The, flight, flight flight of the, of the great, great pumpkin? pumpkin. Yeah. yeah, and so they yeah. try to take this rotten, <laughs> disgusting pumpkin and dump it into our dorm room, and you know hilarity ensues. But it's. Uh, yeah. yeah. So anyway, it's that, the best thing ever. I'm 43 and I still enjoy it. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, it, so it, it's you know one of the things that I I'm curious about your experience, especially because you got started as an entrepreneur so soon, like kind of you know while you were still doing that, is that um, as I reflect back on my experience of you know being a cadet, is that. I, one of the guys that I was in the core with mentioned that it's like you know this is a you know, living in this kind of an environment, it gives you sort of a, you know, organizational politics 101. And it teaches you a lot about, you know, sort of, you know, like, it's not a bad proxy for like, hey, this is how people, you know, there's a lot of different ways that people get promoted. Some people get promoted by being great. Some people get promoted by being buddies with the person who gives the promotion. Some people, 
you know, and, you know, how do you, you know, if you're, you know, kind of having these different classes of people, you know, like, you know, structurally as far as like sophomores, juniors, seniors, freshmen, and then also kind of the different cliques that emerge of like, hey, these are the people that are like the good cadets. And then these are the people that are the, you know, not the good ones or whatever. And these little structures form within these groups. And so what he said, he he went to go work for a big company afterwards. And he said, you know, it was very a lot easier to navigate because I'd kind of gotten this on like a little bit of a smaller scale. And so, especially if you, you said you went to PwC or whatever, then it's like, what was the, you know, did you find that that was the case as well? Yeah, a hundred percent. It definitely, when you jump in and you think when you're in college and you're in this 2200 person cadet corps and you think, well, this is just the way the core is. And then you get into a 158,000 person consulting firm where I, I'm just to be clear, I, I interned there twice. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, I did yeah, six, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, I did six months there. I didn't, I, you know, I never, I never, I, I, I worked on clients. I did very interesting work, but the, or, you know, it was the same stuff. I'm like, wait, the organizational politics here are identical. I mean, it's, it, it was remarkably similar. That's why I said it's like the military, but, but not for the government, you know, I mean, it's an arm, it's an army of consultants and they're deployed and they have, you know, it's just their lives aren't at risk. I mean, and, and, and so it was really interesting how you learn these lessons in a military college and they directly apply over. Whereas when you're in a very unstructured college environment, you know, you can be in like, I, I saw a lot of civilian leadership organizations that taught leadership, but they never taught the most important thing I learned in the core. And that was followership. It was how to obey orders and how to obey a chain of command and how to understand how organizations work and how to deal with the fact that you're eight layers down from the core commander and you've got to report up and you have to get permission and approval. And there's, you know, these, these concepts are actually not common sense because so many people don't understand them. And so um, I always thought that, that what the, the civilian leadership organizations were missing was teaching followership first. And I still believe that. And that's why I think the core succeeds at is teaching people how to follow and then teaching them how to, how to, how to directly manage and then how to lead and then how to motivate, which is kind of like your four years, you know? And, and I, I think they still do a very good job of it. It's different than when you and I are in different, the, 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 the daily life looks different, but you know, there are still people that quit still hard. Um, it's, it's still hard to do that and maintain a full course load at Texas A&M and, it still cranks out leaders. It's a, it is still a leader factory. And I can tell you that because I hire a lot of them. Yeah. And it is, it is still a freaking leader factory. Well, um, it, I've heard so. it described as a leadership laboratory. And the, and the one of the things that's a real great benefit of being involved in some kind of a structured organization like that whenever you're young and in college and you're an idiot is that you, you get a chance to lead. But, you know, really the consequences are not this – you're not dealing with the same stakes as they're going to be if you go on to a military career or if you go on to a business career where your leadership decisions are going to have, you know, much bigger implications and affect a lot more people in much more profound ways than as opposed to whenever you're a cadet and it's like, you know, hey, if we screw this thing up, maybe we don't get to win this award or we don't get to march in the front of the line or whatever the those are. And so I think that that was one of the things that's really beneficial of being involved in student organizations, whatever, is that you get a chance to, you know, you get a chance to fail without having your livelihood at risk. Yeah. You get a chance to learn by doing instead of learn by books. And, and ideally you get a chance to fail. And I'll tell you the situations that I have to step into as an alumni now, 
because I've been mentoring cadets in C2 for the last 15 years through an official mentorship program the Corps Cadets Association runs. Um, I step in when people in the administration at A&M forget that they're supposed to be failing every once in a while and not get booted for it. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, hold on. They're not, <laughs> they're supposed to be able to fail in a safe environment and learn from it. And, and you know, like the, the, <laughs> so many times they're, they're like, you know, they're used to just cutting people's heads off. And so that's really where I think sometimes um, people can go overboard is when they, is really when they forget that one, that fundamental thing that, you're there to, to allow them to fail in a safe environment. And instead of kicking them out, hey, let's let's give them three restricted weekends. Let's make them march in a circle for six hours called marching tours. Let's you know, let's let's give him KP duty where he has to clean up. I mean, I don't I don't care what it is. There's like a there's like a thousand creative legal punishments that you can give somebody. They're totally you know, not hazing. I mean, there's a lot of ways to discipline people without removing them from the organization. I mean, removing someone from our organization is like the last thing we do. I mean, it is like way down dead last on our list. We've got almost 300 employees at JB Knowledge. And, you know, we, we do not want to have to remove people. We will if we have to. But, man, we, we go through a lot of remediation before that happens. And that's the real world. It's not a, a learning. It's not, it's not a college environment. Well, it's a – you know, I, I heard uh... – you know, I, I heard recently a good quote. I think you know Steve Jobs saying something to the effect of, you know, whenever you come across problems, which are usually caused by somebody screwing up, you know, he he said that at some point in his career he started taking the longer view on people, and rather than coming in and trying to fix the problem, he's like, how can I help this person grow so that they don't make the mistakes again? Because you know, if you're relying on teamwork, as we all do in business, then just like yeah, let's just get rid of them. It's like, dude, that's a, you know, that 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 is a, a painful road if that is your method for solving problems and getting better as an organization. Yeah, sometimes you have to do it, but it's it um, you got you got to be really judicious about it. It's easy, it's it's convenient and easy. It's actually kind of you know like oh, I'm going to remove this person. I'm not going to put accountability and oversight and you know all these other things on top of them. Now that being said, you know. Sometimes people do have to go because they're just not the right fit for the organization. But, you know, and so like, it, that's always a tricky one, because I think that, you know, if you are an entrepreneur, then by definition, you are accepting, you know, a great deal of personal responsibility for your, you know, certainly for your financial outcomes. And so I think that it's inherent that, you know, the good entrepreneurs that I know, they always look kind of towards themselves first. And so... You, you better. You, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the the first view needs to be in the mirror. Absolutely. You know. But so to that end, though, is that I think that, like you said, you do come across situations sometimes where this person's just not the right person for the organization. I think that there's all, like you always end up at that situation of asking yourself, it's like, but you know, did what what else could I have done? Did I give this person the right coaching? Did I give this person the right resources to do a good job? You know, like. I guess how do you you know marry those two things up of like taking on that heaping helping of personal responsibility while also saying like you know sometimes people just aren't right how do you balance that? yeah segue segue into the favorite process for you and me EOS right I mean I I brought my business onto EOS seven years ago and one you know there's 20 major tools in EOS um, I'll say I definitely love the people analyzer. 
being able to rate people on GWC. So just you know, for, get, for people that aren't familiar with the lexicon, just kind of the people analyzer is a great tool. Just get, but like give just like kind of an overview of what it means. So EOS is a methodology for running our business designed to achieve vision traction and health. Um, it, it is a system designed to produce results, hold people accountable um, and to achieve things on a weekly and quarterly basis. So you can achieve your one, three and 10 year plan picture and target. Um, so EOS is, um, it's not a software product, although they, there is software to enforce it. It's a way of doing things. The people analyzer is a tool we run every 90 days on every person in our company, all 275 get evaluated every, every single quarter. And they're evaluated on a really simple metric. You know, most personnel evaluations are way too complicated, way too long. Nobody reads them. They're not extremely helpful. They're mostly bureaucratic legal HRBS and, um, the way EOS does it, I love, we do it <laughs> every 90 days for all of our people. It's, you know, do you GWC, do you get your job? Do you want your job? And do you have the capacity to do your job? And the response to each question in, a, in the people analyzer is, you know, plus, plus, minus, or minus, and plus means 90% of the time are better. So it allows for some imperfection. So, you know, if you, if you, mo if you get your job 90 plus percent of the time, if you want your job 90 plus percent of the time, if you have the capacity, 90, then you're a plus, 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 plus those, so you have three pluses. Then you have the, you know, the, the, for us, the six core values of JB knowledge and, you know, do you meet those plus, plus, minus, or minus? And, um, and then your role, you know, like your, your, your roles that are on the accountability chart. So it's a really nice, simple way of evaluating people that very clearly identifies <laughs> when they have a problem in an area that they have to work on. And, um, that is how. Uh, we've, we've tried to take some of the emotion out of it, although there's always feelings involved. Um, and it's certainly how we've, we've tried hard to evaluate people before we hire them. Um, EOS promotes personality typing. Um, they promote Colby. We use predictive index, um, predictive index. I find to be a lot, a lot better, but, um, you know, it's, 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 um, a really great way to identify, um, identify, you know, what kind of person you're dealing with. And, and you know, you have to answer to, to me, Travis, you got to answer two questions. Um, first thing, are they the right person? Second thing, are they the right seat? That's Jim Collins, you know, to EOS directly there. Um, if they're the right person, they meet the values. If they're the right seat, then they match the roles. It's, it's, it's really, really simple, right? So um, are they the right person? Do they meet our six core values? Do the right thing, even when no one's looking, be self-motivated and resourceful, um, show respect to everyone, be a JBK ambassador 24 seven, think lean, have each other's backs, enjoy the ride and geek out. Right. So, and we, we ask them to memorize that. Cause I say, if you can't repeat it, you don't believe it. It's like, if you're a Christian and you don't know John three sixteen, you might want to work on it. Right. Like it's, it's kind of fundamental. If you're, you know, there's a lot of different beliefs you have. Like if you're an Aggie and you don't know the Aggie code of honor, the Aggies don't lie, cheat, steal, or tolerate those who do. That's kind of fundamental to being an Aggie, right? So I think in company culture, you you should know your values, memorize them, be able to repeat them, but then live them out. And and so and there have been times when I've got a minus, you know, and I, there's been times. I mean, I get I have bad days. I have bad days too, you know. And so I have to be held accountable by my business partner. But that's really how we how we approach it is. Right person, do they meet the values? Right seat, do they GWC, get the job wanted, have the capacity to do it, and then do they meet the roles? Because we have some of the best people, best leaders in my company started in a completely different division of the business, and we, we transferred them because they were literally right person sitting in the wrong seat. Yeah. So whenever you 
like, you know, go through this exercise with people once every 90 days and you come across this person that's below the bar, you know, uh, there's, you know, you, you were talking earlier about a bunch of, you know, HR bureaucratic BS, whatever. I think that that is the path that a lot of people start pursuing there where it's like, okay, we need to develop, you know, like a performance improvement plan and we got to do this. And you have all these different rules about what happens, you know, essentially leading up to firing somebody. And I think that the spirit of a lot of that in organizations that I have seen is that it's not in the interest of the person. It's in the like, hey, whenever we eventually fire this person, let's make sure that they can't sue us for anything. And that's, you know, not really at the heart of what most kinds of, not at the heart of the culture that most of us, I think, want to create in our businesses. But no, it's it's not. But I mean, you always have to follow the law. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, and um, and so there are steps you have to take legally that are not part of any custom business methodology or EOS or Rockefeller habits or anything that would be out there. Like they're part of like we use a PEO. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, we we let the PEO because they're technically the legal employer of record. We let them do the things legally they need to do to deal with personnel issues. Um, and we follow the law always, but there's a practical side to it that if you properly manage it, and I, you know, one, one of my f- favorite books on it is is one of the kind of core contributing books to EOS by by Pat Lincioni. Um, You know, five dysfunctions of a team that's super duper high up there. Um, four obsessions of an of, a, of an extraordinary executive. I mean, there's those books really line out kind of what the consequences often end up being, and that's that people, um, you know, just don't, don't pay attention to accountability in the short term. And they think that they're making the right decisions by cutting people before they ever held them accountable. But they're honestly, most people are really afraid to hold people accountable and reprimand them. And I, I see it all the time in public service. I can tell you, I saw it on planning and zoning commission. I saw it on city council. I see it running a university. Holding people accountable is unpleasant and uncomfortable. And people don't like doing it. So- and and so yeah well whenever, shy away from it. whenever you but like i have once heard somebody say i don't remember who this was they were probably smarter than me that they they, they sort of framed it up as like it, it's it's hard to it's it's all it's basically impossible to hold someone else accountable you have to create systems in an environment in which people are capable of holding themselves accountable where and I, you know the message there right is that if there's basic things that we all have to do it's like you know like you you can't like you can't just sit and watch over somebody's shoulder and you know make sure that they are doing every single thing exactly the right way every single time you have to create an environment where they understand and it's very clear what is expected of them and then they can choose to hold themselves to that standard or not